I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Should Kyle Trask be the leading Heisman Trophy candidate? And how will Gator fans respond to Felipe Franks when he brings the Arkansas Razorbacks to town this weekend? What's with the defections at Florida State? And how will the infections of COVID-19 and the cancellation of the games affect the SEC championship? We've got Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times to break down college football in the Bucks. We'll try to rebound from that awful Sunday night performance against the Saints as they take on Carolina in Charlotte. We'll tell you why the next two games may determine the entire Bucks season. We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick, Hey, have you checked out Breitling Boutique in International Plaza? Do you know that it's only one of 15 in the United States? That's how lucky we are to have them. You've got to go check out these gorgeous Swiss timepieces. There's the Chronomat Bentley, this beautiful stainless steel with the green face is my favorite. In April, they launched the Super Ocean Heritage, the 57 Limited Edition. And listen, Breitling Boutique has welcomed championship quarterbacks and Hall of Famers and championship boxers as their clients, but they will treat everyone the same. When you come in, just tell them that Rick and Steve sent you and you will get a free $60 Breitling cap just when you try on the Breitling watch. I got to warn you, though, you're going to take that thing home as well with you. So go check out our friends at Breitling Boutique and International Plaza Mall. All right, we'll get to Matt Baker and break down uh, all the college football. Some interesting topics, of course, Felipe Franks visiting his old stopping grounds at Florida and take on uh, Kyle Trask who's playing lights out. We'll talk about all that in just a minute. But uh, first, let's. Talk about this Bucks game at Carolina. Obviously, uh, a big rebound game for the Bucks after that just disastrous. And I mean, you couldn't underline that enough times, Steve. I mean, when you consider how much hype there was for this game, and rightfully so, maybe the biggest game they played since 2007, uh, or you know, when they were leading the division. Um, you know, a rematch Brady and Breeze, and just to not show up and just get absolutely hammered, like like no Bucks team has been hammered before. Um, for almost any game, that was just an embarrassment, right? It was, and it was, you know, and I t- told you I was in the stands for that game, and it just it Ugh. was awkward anyway with having a lot less fans. It um, is, yeah. You know, but it was cool to see fans. It was my first time attending a sporting event with fans since I was trying to shut it down I, in March, right? March I was, 13th. Well, I mean, so yeah, as a fan, it was my first. I think I went to a USF basketball game like in February last year or yeah. earlier this year. And obviously it was that lightning games working them. But um, so that was good to see. But there was so much excitement. You could just feel it, even though there was less fans. I mean, what, 16,000 or whatever it was. You could just feel right. the, the energy and excitement. And, man, it yeah. went away quick. Yeah. I mean, when you have four straight three and outs and you're down 21 nothing by the end of that, and then you have another drive which ends up in interception and it's 28 nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like it, it, the game was over early in the second quarter. And it yes, just, it was. And, you know, this town's been waiting 12 years for that Sunday night game. Mm-hmm. 12 years to host one. And, man, it just it ended so quick. I mean, the, look, the Saints are a very good team. They're one of the contenders in the NFC. It, it wasn't like you expected to blow them out or there wasn't a possibility you would lose that game. You just never dreamt it would be 38-3 and you'd get embarrassed. Never thought that would no. happen going in. No, and it was it was uh, it was embarrassing, and yet um, you know and we, we've talked about all week long. You know the the game plans I thought were poor. That's putting it mildly that Byron Leftwich and, and certainly Todd Bowles put out there. Having said that, and I I still am not really buying into you know Bowles' strategy with with playing so much zone and mm-hmm. rushing four. But if you go back and watch, you know games. I've always said this: like momentum's games have momentum. You know, we watched the Bucks change momentum against the Packers. The same sort of start. They were down ten nothing before you could you could sit down. I mean, the Packers were going to roll them, and then all of a sudden, Jamal Dean makes a play and runs it back for a score. They get another interception and run it back to the two, and they score, and and they score thirty eight unanswered. But the defense started it. You needed a little bit of a spark, right? Because you're at home, and again, there were fifteen thousand fans, but they got into it. 
Um, you had a little atmosphere, and you could feel energy, and that's something that's hard to generate in some of these empty arenas. But you did have the they spark. had it. You had that turnover at the what the two three yard line. The the Saints were going in to score. Was it seven nothing or fourteen? I don't remember. If it was the the second, right? Or third you did drive. get a fumble there, yeah, yeah. But it was already fourteen nothing. I think at that point. that should have been the spark of. Well, I'll tell you what. What I was talking about specifically mm-hmm. is that, like when you talk about coaches and. Coaches are supposed to put players in, in positions to make plays, and it's up to them to make it. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't blame a coach if a guy doesn't make a play if he's there to make it. There were on the first drive of the Saints, and they were moving. The Bucks went three and out, of course, terrible series. And the Saints were moving. Mm-hmm. He blitzed Jamel Dean off the edge, and he's got a free run, a free run at Drew yep. Brees, mm-hmm. who is not the most mobile guy in the world. And for whatever reason, Drew Brees pump fakes him like a, like a three-point shooter Right, and he goes up in the air and leaves his feet, and Breeze just runs around him, scrambles out to the right, throws a pass for a first down to the tight end, and the drive continues. Same drive, okay? Because we're talking now about rushing forward, you know, dropping eight, all that, or dropping seven, all that. Um, so same same series. Drew Breeze takes a snap, and this time they've got a zone blitz on, and Jason Pierre-Paul, who's normally going to come off the edge. Uh, is playing outside linebacker in a 3-4, drops into coverage, and they throw him the ball right between his numbers, Mm -hmm. and he drops it. If he catches that ball, he's fast enough to beat Drew Brees to the end zone. And those those are two game-changing defensive calls that they just didn't make the play. Coach put him in the position to make the play. They didn't make the play. Against Green Bay, they made the play, okay, and Mm -hmm. they turned that game around. They never had a chance. And then offensively, I, and, and I think the reason they played zone, by the way, was to stop Kamara. I think what they intended to do was keep eyeballs on Kamara because he's hard to handle one-on-one. He's hard to tackle in space. So let's let's just keep as many eyeballs on him as we can because we know that Breeze hadn't been throwing the ball down the field. Now, he hadn't had Emmanuel Sanders, and he hadn't had um, Michael Thomas for a number of games, but those both those guys were back. So I think the, the, the initial thing was, you know, Kamara's not going to hurt us in the passing game. We're going to do this. Well, you know what happened instead? What teams are doing to the Bucks, and this will be something to look for against Carolina because they're a physical team. They've been putting in three tight ends, going heavy personnel, okay, which you have to match. Well, here's the thing. They can dictate to some extent who Todd Bowles has on the field. And they've realized that the Bucks are much more exotic and much more hard to determine what they're doing when they're in nickel, when they bring in Mike Edwards to play safety and they move Antonio Winfield down in the box and they've got five or six defensive backs, we literally don't know who to block. And so what they did is they said, we're going to keep them in base. We're going to keep them in their base defense. We have three tight ends, heavy personnel. The sad thing was the Bucks stayed in their base and they got run over. They got run over with power by Taysom Hill, who's a big physical guy. But he ran downhill, did Taysom Hill, and they weren't ready to stop it. They couldn't stop it. So those two things, there's a little bit of a chess match. The Giants did the same thing. The Giants ran power inside, right? Because you don't have Vita Vea. You've got Ndamukong Sue, but they're getting guards and they're getting some people up into those linebackers now that were once running free. And it's a little different when you run power against this football team. They're really good sideline to sideline. But what about what about right down their throat? Can they handle that? And that's what the Bucks have to answer. They're going to have to commit a little bit more to the run. They have they've been able to stop the run. When you can stop the run with your front seven, you're in great shape because you can cover. But when you have to commit more people to it, then you might get torched a little bit. So let's see what they do. I mean, you know, the the one thing about um, you know about Carolina is Teddy Bridgewater can throw the football. He's pretty good, and he's got a little mobility to him too. And so you have to account for, you know, him extending plays. And if you're going to play man-to-man, you got to plaster your receivers. And, you know, Robbie Anderson and those guys, I think they have the top, they have the top two receivers in terms of yardage in the game as a tandem. Um, now it's pretty much the only two guys they throw to, so that might be why. But both their receivers are, are headed for 1,000-yard seasons. This is a much better Carolina offense. Now, the Bucks caught a break mm-hmm. because Christian McCaffrey's out. That's huge. Uh, they almost beat Kansas City. I watched that game. Mahomes, you know, was just ridiculous. He just plays with you. But that's a three-point game, and I think McCaffrey in his first game back, he had like 94 yards in the first half, right? So they caught a break here. 
But look, this is their season. I mean, this is their season. This week, they're one and two in the division. That's not good. You're not going to win the division at one and two. They pretty much, in my mind, have to sweep the rest of the division games, one against Carolina, two against Atlanta, which, by the way, has won three out of four and should have won four out of four under Raheem Morris. Matt um, Ryan has been playing out of his mind. Okay, So you've got to win the rest of your division games, home and away, uh, mostly away. You've got two, you know, two on the road against Atlanta and Charlotte and then one home against Atlanta. And, and, just, and then next week, okay, let's say you survive Carolina. The next week you have the Rams. Well, the Rams, if they don't win the NFC West, they're a wild card contender. So the first tiebreaker is head to head. You lose that with the Saints. The second tiebreaker is division record. Okay, but well, I don't think there's going to be another team necessarily in the NFC South that's going to make the playoffs. So you're probably okay there. But then you go to the NFC record. Well, if you've lost head to head to the Rams and it's between you and the Rams, right now the Bucks would be a, would be I think one of the wild card teams. But they would fall out of that position, um, certainly if they if they lose one of these next two weeks. And all of a sudden, how does the Tom Brady acquisition look now? You know, and if I told you, well, they made the playoffs, but it was a wild card, and they got in there, and they, okay, you could say, well, first year, eh, you know, 11 wins, like really good season. Like, let's see if they get an off season and reload it, and, you know, next year they'll win the Super Bowl. You could You could say, okay, this is a successful season. But if you don't make the playoffs – with an expanded playoff format, now I still think they will. There's winnable games, you know, on the schedule for sure. I think the only ones they wouldn't be favored in might be Kansas City, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, you know, the Rams. I don't know what what the spread would be there, but they have to win these next two games. I think it's their whole season is these next two games. There's a good case for that. I mean, you know, you know, the opponents at the end of the season are, you know. Atlanta twice. Well, Atlanta Detroit. twice, although they're improving. I mean, you know, they started off right. That's the, what I mean. The Vikings yeah. and Lions, you know, they're Vikings are improving Vikings, too. I mean, you Dalvin got Cook, is Dalvin running. Cook is running over everybody. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it, look, this stretch here at the Panthers, a divisional game, and then the Rams on Monday night, and then the Chiefs. This is a huge three-game stretch, right? <laughs> right? Because you could. You know, I mean, let's say you don't win on Sunday. Now you're six and four. Ugh. And you, you're six, six and, and four, four with a with, shot to go with a six Monday and six. night game that you don't play well in national TV against the Rams, and a game against Kansas City, which no one thinks you're going to win. So you could be six and six. You could be six and six, dog. Yikes! The wheels come off really fast around here. You know, I'm not. Hey, don't break your ankles, fans jumping off the bandwagon just yet. I'm just telling you, there is some. This is a huge game on Sunday. Well, the good thing is it it's may a be one o'clock. At one o'clock game. Well, that's a great thing for all the reasons me and you know. <laughs> we won't be up at two thirty in the well, morning. Well, that too. That too. But that's hey, that's really all I care about. Um, but it is. It is. And then there's really some really bad games at one o'clock. By the way, some awful games. So most people will probably be tuning into this one. Um, Carolina. Look, I I take my Matt Rule's got those guys. The one thing I know about wherever he goes, these guys play hard as hell. Now, what's going to help the Bucks this weekend? Ali Marpet. Ali Marpet looks like he might come back. Um, you know, he's practicing, he's in concussion protocol. Um, by the time you listen to this podcast, you may know uh, whether he's back or not, but that's, that's the plan. Um, the other thing is the, the Carolina Panthers do not rush the quarterback. Well, that's an understatement. They don't rush the quarterback at all. Um, they're last in the league tied with Jacksonville. They average about one sack a game. Here's what I know about Tom Brady. If he's comfortable, you're dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. he is not going to throw the ball to the wrong guy for the most part he'll do it under duress and he'll do it when he's down 28 to nothing but he's not going to do it when he has time and the Carolina Panthers did not get after him and, and he put I think 17 quick ones on him when they played in Tampa so you know if the game goes that way Carolina's in for a bad day uh, if they're able to affect Brady at all or shut down. And, and here's the other thing. What's the over on running attempts this weekend? <laughs> I'll take the over four. I, I think mind. in I'll the first the three drives, it's only going to be runs and throws to Mike Evans. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> We're going to go with the fan. Uh, you know, this way, like, you know, what would the fans like to see? Lots of runs and throws to Mike Evans. Okay, we'll do that. Wouldn't be a ba- by the way, is that ever a bad plan, really, against anybody? No. Like, we're going to run the ball, we're going to be physical, and we're going to throw it to Mike Evans. Like, I could make a living off of that, right? And a lot of coaches have. Um, they didn't win much, but they have. So if you don't throw it to the other team and you do that, you're great. 
But they, come on now. Like, come on, man. Come on, man. You went into a game. I don't care that you fell behind 7 nothing. I don't. I don't care that you fell behind 14 nothing. I don't care if you were down 21 to nothing in the first half. You still got to have to play. You're not going to run the ball? Ever? Like, almost never? And you're going to do what to your offensive line, which doesn't have Marpet that's playing with Joe Haig and Donovan Smith, who gets eaten up every time he plays the Saints anyway? Is it any wonder they lost the football game? Like, if nothing else, just to slow it down. I know they wanted to come back and win, and they felt they had to speed it. They actually went no huddle, if you can believe that, on the fourth series, trying to trying to create some kind of tempo. Mm-hmm. And all that did was use less clock for them. Put the but, defense back on the field quicker. Yeah, really, even faster. They didn't even get a drink of water this time. I mean, it's bad enough you're going three and out. Now we're going to go three and out really quick. Um, so, yeah, they destroyed their defense. They, they, they hung them out to dry. They put them in bad position, all that stuff. But this week, you can expect, and it reminds me, it's not quite the same thing. But like there was a, a couple of years ago, after Jameis was on one of his you know famous interception binges, Dirk Cutter went to Carolina on a Monday night game, uh, and Jack Quiz Rogers, the great Jack Quiz Rogers, who I liked as a guy, but let's face it, he's not. You're not going to find him in the top twenty running backs of all time. But Jack Quiz Rogers got the ball to start the game ten straight plays, ten, and they went all the way down the football field and scored a touchdown. And they, went, they wound up winning that game. And the lesson was, hey, I don't trust my quarterback. You know, you're going to manage this game. You're not going to be the show. Hand it off. We're going to be physical. We're going to run downhill. And this is how we're going to approach it. And they did it. And, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be like that with Brady. But I guarantee you they try to reestablish the run. And you know what else? It might be time for Leonard Fournette to take that RB1. And here's why I say that. Because with all deference to Ronald Jones, who's done more than I thought he could. And he's still one of the top rushers in the league, as it turns out. He had the three 100-yard games this year, and then, then Fournette got healthy. And so Jones's carries have gone down each week. In fact, he didn't have the most carries last week. But what I see in this offense is this. Tom Brady has to have some trust in a running back he can throw the ball to, whether that's first down on the first series, second down on the first series, first down on the third series. It doesn't matter. He is not getting the production in the passing game from Ronald Jones. And why? It's not a good receiver. It's not a good receiver. And, and look, Fournette's not, you know, Fournette's not Christian McCaffrey, okay? He's not Alvin Kamara. He's not running those kind of routes. But his hands are solid, and he trusts them. And, and still one of the biggest plays of the season might have been that third and 13 in mm-hmm. Las Vegas when they were down up just 24-20, and he took that thing north-south and got the 13 yards and went on to score and scored again. So – I think Leonard Fournette, who ran for over 100 against Carolina the last time they played, I think he turns out to be their RB1 this week. Uh, look, I think you look, go back to their schedule. They were down big against the Saints. They were down against the Giants. They were down against the Raiders. They were down against the Packers. They were down against the Bears. The slow starts, and we talked about this last night, the slow starts are hurting Killing. this team. You know, when you're playing catch-up all the time, that's not easy. And sometimes nope. those games get away like the Saints game. That's right. And, and they got away for a lot of reasons. But I I would absolutely – I if, if, I, if I'm the Bucks and I win the toss, I'm taking the ball and I'm putting Leonard Fournette out there to start his running back. Might not be a bad idea. Might not be a bad idea to take the football. I know they like to steal a possession and all the analytics say, you know, you defer and all that. Um, but yeah. And they had it against New Orleans. I mean, New Orleans won the toss and deferred. But if I'm the Bucks, I right. still – I want my offense on the field. The Panthers don't rush the passer well. You expect Tom Brady will have time in the pocket. Yep. Let him go to work and and try to get that lead early, even if it's just a field goal. Get a lead to start. You got to make plays. You got to come out and be hot. You got to make some first downs. You got to get some rhythm going. And and I would like to see some plays that aren't 15 yard outs every time. Some plays where he can get the ball out quick and get some rhythm and get some. Yeah. I mean that's, yeah, they that's took what, a, against the Saints. Every every pattern, every receiver is fifteen yards down the field. There's a lot downfield. They took a shot on first down. I mean, they obviously game sure. planned that. They wanted that look and they got it. And, sure. and the thing is, Tristan Wirfs got pushed back into Tom, and then it. But you know what? Then it was second and ten, and they ran for six or seven yards. Mm-hmm. Now you're third and three. Well, he had a couple of options. He threw it to Gronkowski and is incomplete, and you're punting. So it wasn't you know. They got to be like they've had some manageable third downs they're not getting like yep. third and four, third and three. You should win seventy five percent of the time, and they they had been real good on third down. Now they're not. Yeah. So, but it just they, seemed like every play when the play would stop, you'd look and it was th- four receivers fifteen yards down the field. It's like 
And, and, how and many the times? Saints were getting a pass rush. You got to have some yeah. options shorter than that. You have to. Right. Right. And that's but that's where the running back comes in. Sure. Right? Like Tom sure. has always had the guy available to him that he can check the ball down to, check it down, All check right. it down, check it down. And he doesn't do it. But you had nobody running five yard and stop, and, and you know all that no. stuff from the running back to all that. It was it was four listen, receivers, fifteen yards down the field. But yeah, but how? But, but you know why it was four receivers? Because they added Antonio Brown. Well, sure, they were trying to all resume them. I mean, like if you're just going to look at, hey, there's that guy's got eight Pro Bowls, and this guy's got three, and this guy had his first last year, and there's Gronkowski with six. Like, yeah, it's a freaking all star team. It looks awesome. How are we going to cover these guys? But you know what? They did. They managed to cover them. You know, and they ran all, and that's part of the deal. Like I asked Byron, or uh, I asked the other day, I asked Bruce Arians, I go, "What's the identity of your of your offense? What do you guys do? You know, are you? I mean, they start out the year they were a two tight end, you know, team. They were, a, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of. Well, you know, when you had OJ Howard, person. that helped too. I mean, right. You so lost you lost OJ. Okay. So so now now you're what are you? You're a four wide team with one tight end. Is that what you are? Or are you single back? Like. What are you trying to do? You're going to run the ball and play action? Well, that's what they should do because that's where Tom's at his best. But they're not doing that. So, so what are you now? When you add Antonio Brown and you got all these plays, at one point he was in the backfield. I've never seen a receiver in the backfield all year. All of a sudden Antonio Brown's back there. So when you have all these plays, you know, you've changed your personality again. And so you got to rep these things. you got to rep them in practice. you got to rep them in games. you got to go to things that you can do. You say, you know what? We're really good at this. We run power, you know, or we run, uh, you know, stack formations, uh, pick plays, you know, whatever it is. Like we're a screen team, you know, or we're, you know, whatever. But I don't know what they do. I don't know what they do. For three weeks they were running Ronald Jones 300 yards in in three games, and now they're away from that. So they need to establish or reestablish some identity. And it's cool to think that, you know, what Bruce Arian said was, we got all this ability and all this versatility, and it, we can make matchup problems for any team we play. So just show me who we're playing, and we'll, we'll be chameleon-like, basically. Like, we're a chameleon offense. You know what? That works really well when you've been together for, you know, 15 years. Um, I'm not sure it's going to happen in year one, especially when you're still adding players. You're still adding Leonard Fournette. You're still adding, Anto- you know, Antonio Brown. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and what about the guys that go back to February at Berkeley? Are those guys okay? Can we can you do something with them since you've had the most time with them? Like that's what I don't get. You know, I mean, it sounds good. You can you can resume a team to death, but you know you still got to win on the field. They're not just going to hand you the game because you got better talent. So, I don't know. It's a big one, man. <laughs> it's a big one. We got to play the North Carolina Panthers, man. All I know is we got to go up there. We got to be ready. They're going to knock our blocks off, and they will. Don't get fooled by the record. They took this Kansas City team to three points now on the road. You know, they may only have three wins, but hey. So that'll be something to watch. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right, Matt Baker joins us now. And, of course, Matt, you were at the Florida-Georgia game. Big win by Florida. Um, Nice performance, obviously, offensively for the Gators. And we'll get into uh, into Kyle Trask and and sort of where he's positioned himself now, even for, for the Heisman. Um, first and foremost, I mean, I expected a little more resistance defensively from Georgia. I knew they might struggle on offense, and they did. Um, but what did you make of just how the Gators are clicking on that side of the ball? They, they, they're a well-oiled machine at this point. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think you definitely give a ton of credit to the Gators' offense because it's not like this. Georgia is the first team they've done this against. No, they're, they're one of the best offenses in the country. One of the best offenses Florida's had in a while. I mean, since since the Tebow era. Um, 
and, and and they just you know scratched where it itched kind of thing where where they realized that uh, if they did a little bit of motion and they, they hit the running backs and tight ends with wheel routes, the linebackers were unable to cover them. So they pounded it again and again and again, and they had a ton of success with it. And, and you know, we give Kyle Trask a lot of credit for you know the uh, the way he was able to read the defense to kind of the whole cliche of take what. With it, what they were giving him, but he made some big throws too. I mean, the two uh, kind of jump balls he had to, to Trayvon Grimes and, and Kyle Pitts for touchdowns were very nice uh, plays by the receiver, and nice plays by the quarterback. And um, if I'm looking kind of long term at this as well, because look, Florida's barring something crazy, and who knows in this stupid year, but barring something crazy, Florida's going to win the East. Alabama is going to win the West. They're going to meet probably December 19th in, in Atlanta for the SEC championship. If we can just look ahead to that for a second, because why not? There are some things, really there's one thing that still concerns me about this Florida team that I saw again on Saturday, and it's the pass defense. Now, you look at the numbers, Georgia did not pass the ball very well at all. But if you watch the game, there were a lot of times when Georgia had guys open downfield. And either there were drops or either uh, miscommunication with the quarterback or the quarterback would airmail it or underthrow it or, or something like that. There are some serious holes in this Gators secondary that you know we saw it against Ole Miss. We saw it against Texas A&M. And to some degree, we saw it even in the big win over Georgia. So I don't want to be a complete Debbie Downer here because Florida is a top 10 team. They're going to win the East. Uh, their win the other night was very big. But if they're going to take that step to the next level and, and have a chance of beating Bama and getting to the playoff, which this team can do. Then they, they're, those holes in the secondary have to be fixed because Mac Jones and Devontae Smith will eat them alive, if not. There's no doubt. And, and uh, yeah, Matt Jones is playing at a high level, too. And I think it's a combination, though, Matt, of rush and coverage. I mean, clearly, you know, they haven't covered very well. Um, but you got to put pressure on the quarterback. And, uh, and, you know, they hit him a few times, but I didn't really see the consistent pressure where he didn't, like you said, didn't have the ability to at least find some receivers. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and, you know, some of that w- was limited by the fact that Zach Carter, uh, the Hillsborough High alum, was he missed the first half because of the fight in the Mizzou game the week before. So I thought right. they did kind of take a step up um, when, when he was there in the second half. I think he had pressures on, on a couple of his first snaps that he played. So maybe once he's back and every, you know, this, this once his defense gets whole again, as they should be against Arkansas, then, then maybe they're able to take that step and get some pressure where the guys aren't streaking open downfield. But again, I don't want to take anything away from from the Gators' win because it was it was very impressive. But I'm, I, I do feel like it, it, we need to nitpick a tiny bit here as well because, as impressive as it was, there's a major uh, fatal flaw in this team that unless it's fixed over the next couple of weeks, that's going to keep them out of where they want to go ultimately. Well, and, and the whole story all year has been the defense and whether or not they could catch up and and help their offense uh, because certainly you want to give the ball back to those guys and you want to give it to Kyle Trask. And this is the week. Where all of this sort of comes to a head uh, when when you think about Arkansas and Felipe Franks, right? This is where the Kyle Trask conversation sort of began. A um, couple things. I mean, Franks has done a, a, a pretty credible job at Arkansas, and so it's going to be interesting mm-hmm. to see what his reception is when he when he comes back. But I also think that you know, do we even know what happens if Kyle Trask is discovered, so to speak, if there's not an injury, if there's not something that forces him into the lineup, and now, and we can talk about this, he's a Heisman Trophy candidate. I mean, his numbers are ridiculous. Uh, they're, they're right up there with any quarterback in the nation. The the world works in mysterious ways, doesn't it, Rick? I mean, <laughs> it really does. I, I don't know. I, I don't know where, where uh, Kyle Trask would be and Felipe Franks would be had that guy not rolled up on, on Felipe's leg at, at Kentucky. Because um, yeah. let's face it, look, Mullen and the coaching staff – they always had faith in Kyle Trask. I don't think that that was just uh, you know, blowing smoke. I think that's legitimate. But at the same time, they were at practice all the time, and they determined repeatedly that Felipe was the best option. And, and, and maybe he, he was for a while. Maybe they needed to see Kyle Trask perform with the lights on, that, that sure. type of thing. Absolutely. So I, I don't know what, what, what would have happened, but, but the fact is Felipe did get hurt. And once Kyle took over starting that, the second half against Kentucky when he led him on the comeback, he was very, very good. And this year, he has taken his game to another level where, I mean, it, F- Florida did you know, give credit to the sports information staff of Florida did some really good work in terms of looking at how um, Trask compares to previous Heisman winners through five, five games. 
and he is right on pace with them. I mean, he's not far from where Joe, Joe Burrow was through five games last year. And all Joe Burrow did was have arguably the best season by a quarterback in the history of college football. So as we sit here today, I do think Kyle Trask belongs in that Heisman Trophy mix. I would not have expected to say that a year and a half ago. I don't know that I would have expected to say that in August. But look, here we are. His numbers are, are terrific. Um, you know, I, there, I still have... I'm not sold on him 100% yet as, as the Heisman frontrunner because you, know, you look at Justin Fields at Ohio State. Zach Wilson at BYU is awesome. Um, I mean, he's, he looks like a top 10 pick to me. Um, and, and Kyle Trask doesn't yet have the, the wow throws, the quote-unquote Heisman moments that most Heisman winners eventually have. So, But he's still got a bunch of games left to try and get it. But uh, and one of the other things that, and I wrote about this on TampaBay.com, the thing that might be most impressive about Kyle Trask is how unimpressive he is at times. So hear, hear me out for a second. The, a coach will love a quarterback who just makes the right read, gets the ball to his guy, and lets his guy do the work. And Kyle Trask is really good at that. I mean, he's completing almost 70% of his passes, which is excellent. He's getting them, getting the ball to his receivers in space. And, and you know, he's had, uh, what is it, seven different uh, quarterbacks or seven different receivers have caught a touchdown so far. Ten different guys caught passes against Georgia. So it's not like you just keen in on one guy. No, if this guy's covered, he'll go here. If that guy's covered, he'll go there. And that's it. You know, that, it's not a physical tool that necessarily you can measure and quantify, but it, but it's the way his mind works, and it's the you know the reason why Mullen loves him so much, and why the Gators are top ten in the country with a chance at going even better. Yeah, it's a high level quarterbacking. I mean, he he can read things out. He throws to the open guy. He also puts the ball in positions like with Kyle Pitts um, where only he can catch it and he uses the athleticism of those guys. I think he's playing as well as anybody in the country, and, and that's why Florida is where they're at. It's certainly not their defense. Um, but, hey, you know what? Sometimes sometimes coaches uh, you know, get fortunate with um, having having to play a guy and out he's a gamer. You know, There's a lot, of, a lot of players and quarterbacks in particular, and you know this, Matt, that in practice you watch them and you're kind of like, meh. Maybe the arm strength doesn't really wow you, maybe. But then something happens when the lights come on, and that's that's what Kyle Trask has become. Yeah, you're you're, you're absolutely right, and it's. I, I wrote about this too, but it, it, it's so easy to think of him as the longtime backup because he was a backup to Derek King at Miami. By the way, Derek exactly. King. Yeah. Uh, if I'm making a top ten Heisman list right now, he is on it. Like, let's <laughs> let's 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 acknowledge that for a second. Um, and then he's a backup to to Felipe and, and uh, whatever the mess was in, in 16 as well um, with, with the Gators. But look, he's really good. And, and he is not a backup anymore. He is a legitimate starter, one of the best players in the SEC, one of the best players in the country. And yeah. I firmly expect when it's time for me to sit down and do my Heisman ballot in December, him to be among the five to ten guys on my short list that I'm going to have to figure out and say, okay, who's my top three? You know, Felipe Franks a little bit. How's he going to feel emotionally, and how's he going to perform coming coming back into play the Gators? It's going to be really interesting. Um, there were, there were times in his career when he would come out and play really, you know, start really kind of fired up, and he'd airmail a couple passes early, and then kind of try and settle down. So I'm expecting that um, there's a good chance he will be the first player, probably in Gators history, to maybe college football history to shush his home and road crowd <laughs> at one stadium. I, I can't imagine how many times that's happened before. Um, but look, what, what I wrote the other day, this was the, this split worked out the best for both parties. Um, yeah, Felipe sure. needed a fresh start. He just did. Yeah. Um, he, he got, he got Wally pit by Kyle Trask and there's no, again, Kyle Trask is playing at an elite level. There's no shame in that. Um, and, and he's gone to Arkansas. I think he's got 14 touchdowns, three picks. Arkansas, aside from like Coastal Carolina and Indiana, maybe one or two other teams, they're one of the best turnarounds and best stories in college football. And he is is, is in the center of that. And, and give him credit for that. He he de- he deserves it. I, I've thought a lot about. I, I thought some about how he will handle the environment coming back to the swamp. I think the other side of it is how will the swamp handle him? Right. Because, right. I mean, again, he, he's an enemy color, so I'm sure there will be some booze and that sort of thing. And, and I get that. But I think, I hope Gator fans don't boo him mercilessly. And I hope they recognize that to some, look, Felipe, Felipe got a raw deal at Florida. I, I'll just say it. I think he got a raw deal. Not because of the injury and losing his job. That's That's completely different. But if you look at what Felipe did, 
he came in as kind of he was going to be the, the savior at quarterback as a blue chip guy, big time recruit. And then he starts before he was ready in 2017 because McElwain needed to do something to get people off his back and to try and try and salvage things in a season that really quickly went haywire for a lot of reasons. And Felipe was the, the guy to, to do it, and it didn't work. And that's not his fault he wasn't ready. Uh, he just wasn't, and, and that, that's okay. Not, not every redshirt freshman can start game one and play really well. And then you look at the improvement he made from 17 to 18, where he was one of the four or five most improved passers in the country. Then in 19, he's playing at a, at a high level until he gets hurt, and then he's, he's out of a job. So he, he just kind of got a raw deal at, at Florida. And I think Florida fans will always remember, focus more on the 17 and how, how rough it was for him and for everybody else, and think 18 happened in spite of Felipe and not because of him. And I, I hope that this is this Saturday is a chance to kind of look at Felipe for, for the good that he did at Florida, because he did a lot of good. They would not have made it to the Peach Bowl without him. He was the MVP of the Peach Bowl. Like, let's not forget that stuff, too, and focus only on the early reputation he had in 2017. Because he was a good player for the Gators by the end of his career and deserves credit for where they are right now. Deserves some slice of credit for where they are right now. No doubt. And and the other thing is, is you know, he he always, whether you liked him or not, he, he gave you everything he had. Um, he wore his emotions on his sleeve, but he played really hard. And he had... All those systems. I mean, you go from McElwain, and then you know you have Dan Mullen, and now he's at Arkansas, which he's performing at a very high level in the, in the one shot that he has there. So he's obviously a smart guy, and and um, you know would have benefited from from some continuity that right now Kyle Trask has. And it's the quarterback position is a delicate one, and, and there's a lot that goes into it. So I think that's well said. I think Florida fans need to remember sort of you know what what he gave. Um, and it'll be, it'll be, I think it'd be an interesting game to say the very least. There's a lot of games, uh, that are interesting on the slate, uh, this week. And one we still want to, I still want to talk about from last week. And that was Clemson, Notre Dame. Notre Dame, uh, is first of all, one of the, the, the best, I would think college football game this year in terms of the way it ended. Um, yep. you know, storming the field, notwithstanding, which is a whole nother topic in, in yeah, college football, particularly yeah. with all the games that are being canceled <laughs> this week. Um, but, uh, what did you make of uh, Notre Dame's victory? And, you know, look, uh, their quarterback was on the sideline, but unable able to play. I can't even figure out like what that was all about. <laughs> um, why he was there in the first place, but, um, where does this where does this put Notre Dame now and Clemson? It looks like a possible rematch in, in, in these two, right? Right. But yeah, as I sit here today, and again, no one knows how the schedule is going to shake out for, for all these reasons we've talked about. Right now, Clemson and Notre Dame are probably going to rematch in the ACC championship in Charlotte. If Clemson wins, Clemson's in the playoff. Notre Dame probably is in the playoff, too, assuming they win out. So sure. it was a it was a fantastic finish. Um, it, it was wild. It was crazy. All the even with all those stupid officiating pauses. Um, but in the end, those two teams will probably meet in Charlotte for the ACC title game, and 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 that'll be the one that matters most. Um, when I you know, you know when I went back and and, re, and watched a lot of it, uh, I give Ian Book a lot of credit. You know, he, he's been yeah. kind of a game manager at Notre Dame, but he went out and made some very big plays. Mm-hmm. Um, Notre Dame's defense was very, very big with, with some of the stops they had and containing Travis Etienne, who, again, I, I've said it before, I think he's the most exciting player in college football, and, and Notre Dame did a great job of, of, of bottling him up, him up. So um, Notre Dame, to me, I still have questions. I'm still not sold that they are, are a team that can win the national championship, beat a fully loaded Clemson team, and then beat Bama or Ohio State the, the next week. I, I'm not sure that they're built like that yet. But the fact is... That was the biggest win they've had in a long time. Um, and then if, if you want to get kind of poetic here, it was their first uh, win over a number one team in the country since 1993. Uh, 93, they beat Florida State in the one game of the century. Do you remember, dear Rick, who Notre Dame played the week after that game of the century in 1993? And what happened? Notre Dame, game of the century, 1993. Mm-hmm. They beat Florida State. No- the next week, they played... Boston College and lost on the last second field goal. Why, Rick? Who did the Fighting Irish play this week? Oh, uh, uh, let's Boston see, College. Notre Dame at Boston College. Hmm. Uh oh. I'm not saying anything, but Uh-oh. that that's uh, that's <laughs> an interesting little bit of symmetry. And uh, you know, we talked about yeah. Felipe Franks going up against his uh, former team. Well, Phil Jerkovic, the very good, strong arm quarterback at Boston College, at one time was at Notre Dame before transferring. 
So there's that right. little wrinkle to that one as well. So I'm again, I'm not I'm not saying upset or anything like like that. I'm just I'm just giving you a little history lesson here. Boston College is a good story. Um, the best story in college football, I think, right now, week to week, maybe, maybe Indiana, and they yep. beat the Jim Harbaugh's in Michigan. James Franklin loses at home to Maryland. So who's in more trouble, Jim Harbaugh or James Franklin? Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh, yeah. You want to think Franklin. about it for a second? <laughs> no, no, I'm good. Um, I mean, James Franklin just got a, a new deal or extension or whatever it was because he was yeah. flirting, or his people were flirting with Florida State. Um, because, you know, that's, that's what happens. Franklin's um, won at a higher level. You know, they've, they've been to a Rose Bowl and, and all that stuff. Uh, just yeah. went to the Cotton Bowl. So he's he he's got a little bit more, I think, of a leg to stand on. Um, I mean, this this season has not been good for Penn State. I'm I'm not going to like pretend that it is. They're 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 not in a good shape. Um, but you can rationalize a little bit of it too, where um, you know they they have injuries and illness at running back, which decimates them. And Micah Parsons, a, a top ten do it all linebacker, opts out, and so there's some weird circumstances with Penn State that that doesn't excuse them being this bad. But you can you can explain it away a little bit more. Whereas Michigan hasn't had quite that, and then you know, and in the fact that the the Ofer against the Buckeyes, and then not doing so well against Michigan State, and, and all that stuff, and Harbaugh only has one year on his deal after this. So it yeah, Michigan and Harbaugh. Harbaugh is the. It's going to be one of the questions kind of hanging around the sport. I think the next couple months and potentially into the off season is what's going to happen there. Um, is he going to try and get an NFL job if anybody will want him? Does he up and quit? Do they fire him with a year left? They kind of say, you know what? After this next year, why don't we just go our separate ways? In which case, they're recruiting with a lame duck coach. Like, uh, it's I, I don't I don't know what's going to go on there, but but they're going to be an interesting story to watch. The the, the Harbaugh's are, uh, including uh, Saturday against Wisconsin. That now that the Badgers can actually play again. Hey, how about that? Yeah, well, we're excited here in the uh, Panu Stroud household, but. Um... You know, uh, you've you've written about this and you've talked about it before. Indiana, Tampa connections everywhere. What a job they've done. Where are they going to wind up? I mean, they they deserve something out of this. They do. I I don't know if they're going to get a New Year's Six Bowl out of this. Um, it, it still feels like it could fall apart a little bit, but sure. they they absolutely can be in that conversation. I mean, if the Gators aren't in the playoff, wouldn't it be nice to see? How about a how about a Florida Indiana matchup in in. Uh, the peach bowl or something i mean sure. you, you look they've still got uh who just have michigan state this week at ohio state next week okay and that, that's that's a tough one we'll give an maryland there, has looked yeah. pretty well then at wisconsin yeah, that's true yeah, then yeah at so there's, wisconsin, yeah. there's still some game some prove it games left for them but mm-hmm. again it, what i love about this sport we've said it before is where a, a team that's not a traditional power can go and have a cinderella or a sensational season and I'm enjoying just watching them because, I mean, yeah. look, I grew up 45 minutes away from Bloomington. Indiana football was not a thought at all. Nobody cared. And now that they're number 10 in the country, it's absurd and, and good for those guys. Yeah, it really has been a great story. A traditional power, not traditional power anymore, is Florida State. And Mike Norvell has got some problems, and it's not just because they Oof. go to North NC State this week, but a bunch of defections now. From his players, Matt, you wrote about that this week. What is happening uh, with that program right now? Well, they're not in a good situation. Period. They're. I don't want to be a, a, a Debbie Downer, Danny Downer, all the time. But if I'm looking at what are the positives, I can say they run the ball decently. Uh, Jordan mm-hmm. Travis at times has been a good quarterback, and some of the young guys have been okay. There's just not a lot of positive things to say about it, this two and five team. I I, just, I have no idea how they beat North Carolina. That's one of them. Uh, when we look back at the end of the season, that will That's be one of the more experience. confounding results because it looked like it was the turning at the tide for FSU, and instead it's just one of those inexplicable weird things that happens in a sport full of eighteen and to twenty two year olds throwing around an oblong piece of leather. Mm. So when when you look at what FSU has happened. You know, the, the, uh, on Wednesday, James Blackman uh, started 25 games at FSU for quarterback. He's going, he's going to presumably enter the transfer portal. Marvin Wilson, standout defensive lineman, uh, shuts down because of injury. And Tamori and Terry, one of the most talented receivers in the country, big play threat, he's 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 leaving. He, he opted out. And then Devontae Love-Taylor, an offensive tackle, uh, is done with a year for injury. 
maybe he could have returned. I don't know. And, and we'll see what his future is. Um, our, our buddies at Knowles 247 uh, in, the, in the preseason ranked like the top 40 most important players at FSU. The guys I just mentioned are, were one through four. Mm. So, and again, this is a lost season. It's not really about this season. The, the only question I have right now about the Knowles is, are they going to end up with the worst team since 1975? And I think the answer is probably going to be yes. So it's not about 2020. It's about what the heck is going on there. And again, it's not just about the, the defections the other day either. By, by again, our, our, I'll credit our buddies at, uh, at Knowles 247. They've, uh, since Norvell took over in December, they've had 16 guys, 17 if you include Marvin Wilson, leave, transfer, medical retire, whatever it is since Norvell took over. 17. That's two-thirds of a recruiting class. And every situation is different. Some guys weren't the right fits. Some of the guys got in trouble. Some of the guys got hurt. But when you add it up, that's a lot. And I think Wednesday was either going to be the rock bottom moment where, you know, like a, like Fixer Upper, the, the great TLC show, uh, or HGTV, whatever, um, on demo day, you know, where, where Chip goes in with a hammer <laughs> yeah, and they, they wipe down. everything down to the studs. Yeah. Yeah. So that was Wednesday. Um and they are now down to the studs and they will either Norvell will either rebuild it the correct way, where this is a team that can a program that can uh, continually get better and then start challenging Clemson again for, for ACC supremacy. Or I think we will look back at, at this and, and everything that preceded it as kind of the, the time where Norvell started losing the program because I, and I don't think there's an, there's a middle ground either um, just because mm -hmm. they, they have been, not very good at all. And he's preaching, Norvell's preaching the right things about patience and his core values of sacrifice and respect and service and all this stuff. Either the guys are going to start buying in and they're going to start getting better, or eventually they're going to say, you know what, to, you know, starting quarterback left, start defensive tackle, team captain, he bolted. Maybe those guys had the right idea. And so it's a fork in the road moment for, for this team. And, and I don't know which, which direction it's going to go. Definitely Florida State's brand has taken a beating over the past few years, and it'll be something that recruiters will use against them, no doubt. Um, so that, that's hard to see. You expect some turnover, but I think you're right. That's a watershed moment. We'll see if Norvell can, uh, can bounce back, and he's got uh, a game at North Carolina State um, this weekend. USF, hey, by the, I feel by the sorry. way, Rick, uh, yeah, North Carolina State, uh, their quarterback uh, expected to start on Saturday, Bailey Hawkman, who is a transfer from Florida State. <laughs> well, there you go. The, it'll highlight the uh, the juxtaposition. They're all over the country, that's for sure. USF is at Houston. I felt bad for the Bulls, the baby Bulls over there. Uh, it was a heartbreak. Heartbreak hotel, baby. It was Memphis. They had a two-score lead, and then they let it get away. Um, any signs of hope? Uh, what can you say about USF? I know their record's not going to be very good. Their record's not going to be very good. Playing with Memphis was a good thing um mm -hmm. just as they they played with with tulsa or with, not tulsa uh, temple a couple weeks earlier right maybe they're getting things closer um and, and I, sometimes i do think there's the whole you have to learn how to lose before you learn how to win kind of thing um not lose yeah and, before you yeah, learn you, how to win yeah. yeah right you know what i mean um, yeah yeah no you're exactly right yeah they haven't they haven't learned how to win yet and I, I don't know if it will happen this year. Maybe it can happen against Houston. Houston's been kind of iffy. Um, Navy's not like Navy-Navy. And then, you know, I, I don't expect them to, to beat UCF at the end of the year. Right. Um, it's just kind of like baby bulls. I think that's right. It's seeing whatever baby steps they can get out of there in terms of uh, learning who they have at quarterback and, and what types of guys they can expect on defense to start making strides. It's, this is a... Like Norvell at, at, at FSU, this is a rebuild job, and they are a year negative one, year zero kind of situation where it's it's going to take some time. There, there's going to be growing pains, and I think there might be some more Saturday against the Cougars. And I think that that you know all those teams, even Norvell included, when you come in during a pandemic, can't have spring practice traditionally. You know, you're starting a program. They were they were already um, going to be a little bit behind the eight ball. This just made it harder for all those teams. What's going to be hard to do after this weekend with so many teams not playing? I mean, there are a bunch of games, obviously, in the SEC. 
that are canceled. COVID is a big story in college football. It's a big story globally, needless to say. Um, I, let's just focus on the Southeastern Conference. How might that affect going forward if some of these games uh, we're getting we're running out of time? They can't really make these things up necessarily. How might that uh, do anything to to the standings to to what we see for the rest of the year? Yeah. So if if we zoom out a second, second the Big Ten's not making those games up. So like Ohio State Maryland, um, which in theory could have been a, a good game, that's not happening. Uh, right. We we lose a chance to another data point to see how good Ohio State is. The playoff selection committee loses another chance to see how good Ohio State is and where they would rank against the Floridas and A and M's and whoever. Um, we lose another chance to watch Justin Fields, which as a Heisman voter, I'm not thrilled about because I, I want more data on him. Um, the, the SEC stuff is is differently interesting because they they built themselves a little bit of wiggle room to try and. You know, with, with everybody having December 12th off as a, a makeup date. But because other teams right. have already had games canceled and moved there, there, there there's a lot of moving parts with this. What I think is going to end up happening, I mean, look, I don't think every game is going to get played. It, it's just right. not. Um, in the SEC, maybe in the ACC as well. I, I, when when they started coming out with the schedules in August, September, whatever it was, I didn't expect everybody to play every game. Um, and the SEC has tried valiantly to make it happen and i think at a certain point it's going to be impossible for one reason or another and what i think they'll end up doing is prioritizing the games that matter for divisional and and conference standings so right now bama lsu being postponed is not a good thing because bama is obviously in the driver's seat excuse me for the sec west and as it would stand right now florida would play lsu on december 12th and then presumably play Bama the next week, Bama would be off the week before the SEC title game. Yeah, Dan mm. Mullen would not be happy about that. So no. I, I think that there are some ways they can move a bunch of teams around and, and make it happen, but they're they're running out of time because if next week there's an outbreak at Team X and that forces different changes, there, there's I expect some games to, to just to get lost and not played um, in, in the shuffle and all of this. And you know what? That's okay. They're, 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 they're playing college football in a pandemic. Uh, there are no rules. There is no playbook. Nobody has the right answer. Nobody knew what the right answer was in March or August or September, and certainly not on uh, November 12th. So I think we're going to have to accept the fact that this is not going to be fair and that there are going to be some games that get lost in the shuffle, but hopefully they can make it as fair as possible because the, you know, I, I asked Greg Sankey before the season, what would make a successful SEC season to you? And he said, awarding somebody a conference championship trophy on December 19th. So if they can do what they can to protect that game and the games leading up to it, to where we know Alabama and Florida are the top two teams in their divisions, they meet on December 19th at, at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium or whatever it's called, and one of them wins and wins the, the SEC, that's a success. So that that's what Sankey said is a success, and that's the way I'm going to judge them. Rick, uh, this this game I can't believe you haven't uh, brought it up already. The the Bucks Bowl uh, at noon on the Big Ten Network. Uh, the Fighting Loveys versus the Fighting Shianos. Uh, who you got? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm not sure it's easy to pick either team because Illinois and Rutgers football. Um, you never know what to expect. Look, Greg Shiano has surprised some people maybe not surprise is the right word but he's jumped right back in and uh and and got those guys playing hard i don't even know who he has really you know inherited on that football team lovey smith just grinds along in illinois um not impressive ever uh necessarily but it is it is going to be an interesting uh maybe handshake or or dap or whatever they do these days in college football um because they could both reminisce about what went wrong? I mean, it's funny because Lovey was brought in to calm down, take the temperature down after Shiano um, just took kind of a wrecking ball to the place. Uh, so Lovey gets his revenge. But uh, those two could could probably have some interesting conversations about their days at one buck. I'll tell you what. I'll take Illinois uh, just for Whoa. just for kicks. Yeah, I know well, it's a stretch. You you mentioned Lovey was brought in to take the temperature down. I didn't know it was possible to take the temperature down anymore. Didn't uh, didn't Greg <laughs> keep right. that like it was like sixty two Celsius? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a it, good point. Yeah, but they were trying to kill MRSA. There, you know, you got to have a very cold uh, environment yeah. to, to try to yeah, try to yeah. kill the okay. virus. That, 
that that checks out. That checks out. Um, Rutgers though does have a win um, over they Michigan do. State. I did not expect that. So, um, nope. and this this is a you know, Lovey has not worked out at Illinois. I think if they lose, this might be a writing on the wall thing for for <gasps> Lovey at, at Illinois. Um, really? Just wow. Break. Let's let dun, 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 dun. Matt Baker projecting that Lovey Smith is playing for his job this Saturday against Rutgers and Greg Schiano. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, look, I'm, I'm pulling up Lovey's record right now. He is 15 and 30. Oh, not. Um, discouraged. They're, they're, they're I, I go back to disappointed. Discouraged. Yeah. Uh, they should definitely be disappointed. Um, 15 and 37. They they did make it to a bowl last year in year four, and they lost the Red Box Bowl. I think it was to Cal. And to finish a six and seven season, he's he's tried to build it the right way. I think for what Illinois needs to do with a bunch of transfers, but the fact is they haven't gotten it done. I don't know what you've seen that would make you think it's going to happen. And then if he loses to Rutgers, a rebuilding mm, wretched Rutgers yeah, team with a first year coach, yeah. I don't know how you say you know what this is our guy to keep things going. So that's one that I'm definitely. Watching and again, mm. I have no idea what, what the finances are, and obviously the pandemic has screwed all that stuff up. But yeah. I, I don't. That's a hard one for me to get over. Yeah, check the buyout. I guess <laughs> that's what they always Correct. say with college football coaches, right? Check Correct. how much. Uh, well, just one one more nationally, if that's all right. Yeah, um, absolutely. Kind, kind of state. Uh, Miami Virginia Tech is one that I'm very interested in. Um, Miami has not played at a super high level the last couple of weeks. Gotten a little lucky. Virginia Tech yeah. has gotten a little bit unlucky. If you watch the crazy ending to the Liberty game where they blocked a 59-yard field goal, ran it back for a touchdown that would have won it, except they called timeout, and then mm. Liberty gets an extra play, and then they make a 51-yarder to win it. So mm. uh, kind of two sides of that coin, lucky versus unlucky. And, and if Miami wins that, I've been a little hesitant on the Canes compared to some of the other AP voters. If they are able to, to beat Virginia Tech, I'll be you know buying a little bit more uh, Cane stock. Well, they're, at least they're going up. They're going they're moving in the right direction, even though you're right, it was kind of, of, course. A, kind of a lucky win. But, I mean, winning is the thing, right? And so um, with the Eric King now at quarterback, that that's a good thing for Miami. Miami's got some – they got a little bit of juice – a little bit of juice for us. So that's good. Yeah, they're they're definitely moving in, in the right direction. And again, go back to January. I didn't know that that would happen. So absolutely, absolutely give uh, Manny uh, credit there with what he's done with Rhett Lashley as OC. And again, Derek King, who's played at a super high level and, and it's a lot of fun to watch. It really has. Well, it'll be a lot of fun this weekend in college football. Matt Baker will be covering, of course, the Florida-Arkansas game, and you can check him out on uh, TampaBay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks, Matt. We appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Hey, my thanks, as always, to Matt Baker. It's going to be an exciting week of college football. Looking forward to that uh, Arkansas-Florida game and uh, the few others that might be played around the nation. Man, there's just a lot of cancellations. Also, well, we got the Masters, right? A tradition like no other. If they're able to get out from under the rain up there, see if Tiger Woods and Tiger Woods... Walks by the Putler cabin. Yeah, college game day is going to be live from the Masters. How about that? How about that? Is that awesome? Two things that I love the most, college game day and the Masters. Maybe Tiger Woods will pick the – who are they going to get the, as the guest picker? Uh, that's a good question. I haven't seen. Phil Mickelson? Maybe both. Tiger or Phil. Head to head. I like that. I'm, I'm, I'm down for that. And then, of course, it's the uh, Bucks and the Carolina Panthers. One o'clock. Thank you, Lord. One o'clock on Sunday in Carolina. By the way, you were right. The uh, one o'clock schedule is awful this week. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> it's just terrible. Eagles, Giants, Jags, Packers, Oof. Washington, oh. Detroit. Oh my! Texans, Browns, and then Bucks, Panthers. Yeah, of all that, I'm watching Tom Brady. Well, I am watching Tom Brady. But if I were yeah. a fan, that's what I would be doing. That's you're not watching I that Eagles, Giants, Titanic struggle. No. No, 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 no. That is a Titanic straw. Hey, the Eagles, Eagles could get to 500. They could get to 500. I'm saying, they're going to win that division. Hey, how about this? They could host the Buccaneers mm-hmm. if the Bucs make a wild card. They'll be going to Philadelphia. And, and Philadelphia may be sitting there with seven, eight wins. So that's why, you know, listen, that, that's why you, get, you need to win your division. Because going on the road, even though the fans aren't there and all that, it's not the same, but it is the same. Mm-hmm. It's, it's still hard to do. Yep. So I don't care what you say. Hey, make sure you check out our friends uh, at Breitling Boutique and International Plaza. We have one of only 15 in, in the whole United States. I mean, these are gorgeous Swiss uh, timepieces. Um, 
I'm telling you, you're going to love the Corona Matt Bentley, the uh, Super Ocean Heritage, all of those. And if you go in, they're going to treat you like you're royalty, like you're a celebrity, like you are a celebrity. Just tell them that Rick and Steve sent you. Try on one of those Breitling watches. You'll probably walk out with one, by the way. But you'll, we'll definitely walk out with this, a free $60 Breitling cap just when you try on a beautiful Breitling watch. That's Breitling Boutique in the International Plaza. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. 